Welcome back to Korea Lesson. My name is Anna and my mission is to help you learn from the best industry professionals so you can have a thriving career, business or side hustle. With that, I'm glad to introduce you to Annie Filipova, who is an international banking executive with more than 25 years of banking experience. She has been with Citibank for 21 years, working in Bulgaria, Romania, London, Singapore, and Hong Kong, in roles spanning product and relationship management, operations, and risk control. Her latest job was regional chief operating officer for Citibank Treasury and Trade Solutions in Asia. Now, I'm glad to hand over to Annie. Annie, I am honored to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for accepting my invite to share your knowledge. No, I'm honored and thank you so much. I'm very excited to have this chat with you. I am curious to hear, what was your journey into finance? Did you always know that this is something you wanted to do or you got into the industry by chance? At that age, to be honest, I, I was not very uh, particular about my plans. I was not very clear what I want to do. I studied finance and banking simply because it was the thing these days. It's just the same like data and tech and fintech these days. So uh, it was fashionable and I signed up, they admitted me in the university and I studied banking and finance. Actually, my banking career is a byproduct of a passion of mine. And this passion is to travel. I, Since I remember myself... I always wanted to travel outside of Bulgaria, all over the world, see different nations, different cultures, different people. So all throughout my career, travel was the one thing that was driving me. It sounds funny, but that's really the truth behind it. So when I finished school, uh, university, I was aiming to start an international company so I can travel. And uh, I applied to McDonald's uh, and Shell. I remember very well. And they rejected me because they said uh, they need uh, people with experience. And I was just fresh out of university. So I came by chance on a job ad uh, in a bank. I went and went through three exams, I would say, or tests, uh, and I passed. And I joined a, a Bulgarian bank. I joined in operations and uh, it's a very important first step in banking because you learn the ABC of banking or how money uh, moved from point A to point B. Uh, but once I spent there two years and then when the first international bank opened in Bulgaria, it was a, a Greek bank, I applied and they accepted me. I became founding member of the bank. So we, we established it. Then in a couple of years, uh, another bank came to Bulgaria. It was a larger one, Austrian bank, Raiffeisen Bank, with presence in Central and Eastern Europe. So I applied there. They accepted me. And, then, and again, I was a founding member of the bank. It was very interesting. With Raiffeisen, I also worked abroad in Romania. And while I was in Romania, a friend of mine from Bulgaria called me and said, by the way, Citibank is coming to Bulgaria and I'm applying. Are you interested? So I said, yes, I'm interested. And in a, probably a week later, uh, somebody from Citibank Romania called me and I had numerous interviews. And uh, in March year 2000, I joined Citibank. And now 21 years later, <laughs> I have worked in initially Bulgaria, again, founding member of Citibank Bulgaria, then London, then Singapore, and then Hong Kong. And throughout this journey, I traveled on business and I traveled on for vacation to more than 80 countries. So my passion of travel was satisfied, but I also built a career alongside that. So that's my story. 
Wow, 80 countries. You were very fortunate to start your career a couple of years ago, not in a global pandemic. No. Um, it would be a little more difficult. Now we are basically traveling from our kitchen to our bedroom. That's as much as we travel. But I always find it interesting. It's like a chicken and egg problem. So when you apply fresh out of uni, you don't have any experience and you're supposed to already have, I don't know, two, three years behind your back, but how are you going to get that experience if all the positions are asking for that? So for students and young professionals who would like to break into finance, what do you think are the top three technical and soft skills to master? And how do you suggest they should do it? That's a great question. And it's difficult these days. It's very difficult for young people. When I was young at that time, it was like, at least in Bulgaria, everything was opening up. There were so many new companies and everything that there was a lot of options. Nowadays, the best way in is through uh, internship and then uh, becoming a management associate. That I think is a good path to go through. And when we interview and select people for internship or for after that, the internship, after the internship for permanent position with the bank is so we're looking for, first of all, people that are tech savvy, right? Technology is so much of our day-to-day -day life and work. So we're looking for people who actually understand and have knowledge of tools to make their work easier, This uh, will, to help them work smarter. And honestly, somebody who is coming up from outside the bank, uh, coming in, and they have a completely new, fresh perspective of how they see how we do things and some things that we don't do right comes up very quickly. So tech savvy, being very curious about all the new developments, all the technology, innovation, that's very important. Analytical skills are also very important because the likelihood is that if you join bank, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to analyze a lot of data you will be asked to identify trends, patterns, and formulate conclusions based on the data you've seen. Numeracy is also very important. Using any tools that would help you with that is also very important. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, the bank is looking for ways to make money, deliver revenues. So being commercially aware, numeric is important. And the third one, I don't know whether I call it technical skill, but uh, it's something that has to be developed is, is the ability to present these results in a form that people can read and understand and can ask questions. So can I call that presentation skill? So these are the three very important things we are looking for, right? So we think we're looking for people who are thinking out of the box, questioning the status quo, they're questioning why this is done this way or that way. So I think that would, if you go to interview and you are able to demonstrate these skills, you will be in the, in the shortlist. But equally, soft skills are very, very important because at the end of the day, no matter what technology you use, behind it, there was a person who created it. Even in AI, people have trained the AI. So you work with people. So your ability to communicate effectively is very, very important because it's your voice. You have to be able to say what you think, contribute to meetings. So communicating effectively is very important. Another soft skill is being able to establish relationships, develop them and manage them. And this works through time, but you have to, it's a give and take. 
you have to be able to collaborate with somebody, reach out, help, and then the relationship start work. And you just have to feed this relationship. It's not that once you know somebody, that's it. You don't do anything else. No, you continue, you work, you try and find ways to connect more, to find joint projects, etc. And I will finish with one which is actually the most important is, is emotional intelligence or just said in a very practical terms is being aware of your emotions and how you're impacting other people and also being able to read the emotions on the other side because in your daily life and not only work but daily life it's so important right to be able to say the right thing and to feel how people feel and if you see somebody tired you don't go and argue with them it's stupid right you just have to find the right approach to do that so i think this has to be you know people are not born some people are born like this but this is something that you have to cultivate every single day and i do believe that people have to read about this take courses just to understand watch how other people do it reach out ask questions about this because i think this is one of the key qualities that a person should have and that will propel the career and empathetic leader is so far better than anybody else and far better chances to succeed you mentioned tech and the world of banking as we know for many years is in a fundamental transformation process and it is triggered by new tech so for example the most important is blockchain that is set to fundamentally change the way financial transactions are handled today and it's not just blockchain it's fintech it's advances in robotics ai so all this tech is changing traditional finance in your view where do you think the industry is heading do you think will traditional banks survive <laughs> well banks i don't know what traditional bank is but banks will definitely survive they will change transform and definitely survive the banking services also you know moving funds from point a to point b will continue giving loans will continue giving advice to clients that will continue it's just that the means to do it will be different right and it will be done faster more nimble etc so all the destructive technology that you just mentioned they started impacting the sector five six years ago and to be successful the banks uh, in the future or the banks of the future need to embrace all this technology and remain flexible to the different and new business models but the most important thing is that the client has to be in the center because the banks are there because of the client not because of anything else right so so they have to embrace this technology and use it to help the bank customers to grow and develop their businesses and help their clients So I think this is the the key role of the bank and they have to use everything new to be able to help clients. Key trend in banking was uh, digitization which was boosted immensely by covid. In the last year and a half the banks managed to digitize quite a lot simply because there was no other way to do business, right? People were not in the offices, they were connected uh, digitally from home etc. So things happened, things happened. On the other hand, the pace of technology innovation is amazing. It's accelerated and it creates different new business models. And it's so fast. Everything is so fast. 
And the competitive advantage this day is not to be big, but to become agile, fast, nimble. And this threat will continue, absolutely. So the banks have to embrace change and innovate, but in smaller, bolder cycles. So embedding innovation with their core business is very key because this is the only way for the banks to develop new ways to create and deliver value for customers in the most effective way. Another big trend is data. It's becoming a key area for development in the bank. There is a huge amount of data, a huge amount of data, but often they are not easily accessible. They're in systems which are old, the data is not well structured, not clean enough, uh, can't be integrated. So all this cleanup of data will take a lot of efforts, but it will give the banks the ability to harness data and use them to gather timely customer competitive and operational insights. And a lot of people are asking, what is the future of the bank branches? So apart from all the trends that I just mentioned, the banks have to take in mind and adapt to the evolving preferences of their current and future clients. So for instance, if if I'm thinking about my mother, I mean, she prefers the in-person interaction, right? She's absolutely not technically savvy. Every time I call her, she doesn't know how to even switch the camera on the phone. So she doesn't use internet banking and she'll continue using the bank branch to get her pension. That's what she does. But my generation and millennials, they're very versed with uh, digital technologies, but sometimes we might go to the branch, right? But we prefer the, to use the digital means. And then the generations that are coming, Generation Z and the future generations are fully digital. They, they know nothing but digital. They have no idea about the manual things, actually. And as they and millennials become the majority of the base, the client base of the bank, uh, this transformation will continue and the use of bank branches will decline naturally. So you think the answer here is to adapt? Absolutely, um, yeah. And there is a lot change with the change in the environment. And it's not only technologies, the geopolitical changes. They drive change in the supply um, chains, new business models. So it is change all around. <laughs> There is a lot of investment and big banks are trying to adapt, but admittedly, my perception is that they are still too slow and lagging behind some of the smaller fintechs. And what do you think the reason for that is? Is that just the size of operations, so it takes longer and they're less agile, or is there something else? Well, imagine banks, large banks, they have these large systems which were done, let's say, five, 10 years ago. And compared to the new tech companies, which have the latest, latest, nimble, completely new systems, right? Which can be changed very easily. So the banks, they have to actually replace all this infrastructure while making money, right? And meeting all the ratios that and delivering value for the, for the investors. That's not the issue with the tech companies, right? They have access to a lot of investment. And they can just burn cash very, very easily. Well, banks, we can't burn cash. We have investors who are looking for return. So that's why, that's why. But I think what is going to happen is that uh, that's why you think it's slow. And also the tech companies, they generally work with, I mean, the workforce is also equally digitally 
savvy, right? While in the banks, there are different type of people working there, right? And then suddenly they have to really change uh, from a manual mean to digital mean. And people are different. They have different uh, pace of change, right? So the banks have to take care of that, the educational programs. And there is culture that you have to work on, digital culture, which doesn't happen overnight. But that's why the difference. But I think there will be a symbiosis between the two and uh, banks and tech companies who work more and more together to deliver the best service to the clients. Multiple factors involved here, as far as I can see. So, but we can see that this pace is accelerating. So hopefully at some point, the big players and the small players can sort of catch up with each other. Yeah, I'm and sure. I'm sure this will happen. I'm absolutely sure. And moving on to your personal career journey. I understand that you are currently on your sabbatical and this can be a personal question. And I believe there is a reason for you to take some time off. I have personally never taken a sabbatical yet, but definitely aim to do so in the future because I see many benefits to do so, including spending more time with the family, traveling, and by traveling, I mean like not two week traveling, but actually go somewhere, live for a couple of months and explore the place like a local and dedicating more time to hobby and your health as well. Uh, you're looking to start a new venture and what was the reason for you to take some time off? Yeah, well, there were three reasons for this to happen. So the first is the last uh, six years of my career were the most interesting, the most exciting, the most rewarding a period when I learned and grew the most. And in, but it was extremely busy. But in parallel, I have actually developed other interests outside of work. I became a member of a network which is called uh, Female Entrepreneurs Worldwide. This is a network which aims to support women entrepreneurs. So I started, I first became a member, then became their ambassador. I was mentoring women founders. And I met so many successful entrepreneurs, men and women, and scientists. And suddenly, this whole new universe opened in front of me, and universe that I knew nothing about. The more I was exploring, the more I was, you know, you meet so many new people, they introduce you to other new people, and then you go out and see so many other different industries outside the bank that you have no idea existed. So I was just thinking, if I don't explore that, I'll be sorry. So I don't want to be sorry. I don't want to have sorrows in my life. I just, I have to do it. The second reason was that when COVID started, my family, you know, my husband and my two kids, we end up being at home, the four of us, for a long, long period of time. And uh, again, a new, a new kind of life appeared in front of my eyes. I could see what my kids do while I'm at work, gone for 12 hours, right? So I could see what they do. I can see what my husband does. And it's, I started taking a bit more part in that. We started having breakfast, lunch, and dinner, started cooking. You know, and the, the relationship kind of blossoms. And I just said, I want more of that. My kids are 11 years old. And tell you a, a very personal fact, when they were born, we had a discussion with my husband. He said, look, if you think, because he's 20 years older than me. So he said, if you think I'm going to be the father that is going to cut now the kids to all these extracurriculum activities and this and that, no, that's not going to happen. I said, absolutely, I'm going to do that because I was really, I wanted to do that. But 
life happened in a different way. So I pursued even more my career and he became the stay-at-home dad. And he loved it. He loved it. So after that, when I was raising the topic about, oh, so when I'm going to do that, actually, it was always, oh, later, later. And then my kids now are 11 years old. So they're now young adults. They're very interesting to be with and to talk with. And it's really fun. So I said to myself, I'm not going to miss these next two years. I have to be able to spend more time with them. I want to, to be free and go with them for the entire vacation in the summer. I want to do things with them. And that's my window of opportunity because they become 13, 14, they become teenagers that are not interested in you or less interested, let's say. So then I will go back to whatever next step of career will be with a much more passion because they would have gone and I would be heartbroken. So that's the second reason. And the third, very important, is the fact that we abuse our bodies when we are young and we work hard. And in order to have a long and fulfilling life, you just can't abuse it. You just have to stop, reset, get stronger. So I generally wanted to set my body to serve me another 50 years. So we have to nurture our bodies so they can carry us gracefully into old age. So these were my three reasons. It's very new, yet the sabbatical. So I don't know, there are many opportunities. We can speak again in six months. I'll tell you more. But yes, I definitely recommend it. People have to take time off and look at different parts of life because there is life outside there, you know? There is a different life. And all these other 7 billion people in the world <laughs> live it. Thank you for sharing this personal insights. And I do think if there is one good thing came out of the pandemic is that realization that many of us had that what is the most important part of our life is actually our family and our health. Because if you don't have health, if you don't have family, then you're probably not going to enjoy your career because ultimately you can't do anything anyway. So definitely need to take care of ourselves, need to take care of each other and it's just very important. As you said, there is life out there and sitting in front of a computer screen for 12 hours is absolutely not ideal. So yeah, thanks for sharing this insight. And I work in consulting and about two years ago, I have noticed that my behavior started to change. I no longer wanted to do anything outside of work. I constantly felt tired, anxious, and basically lazy. And then I decided to have a conversation with a professional about it. And I've been diagnosed with a corporate burnout, like many of us had in our careers. And my company has been very supportive. I took some time off to recharge and work on my mental health. And I spent a lot of time in the nature with my family, friends, and noticed that my motivation actually was going back up to the same level or even more. And as you said, finance is no doubt one of the most intense, stressful industries and very notorious for having like always own culture, lots of traveling, replying to clients basically 24 seven. And have you ever had a burnout? And if you did, how did you actually cope with it? When was the time you had to say, now this is a time for me to stop? Well, I haven't had the burnout in the way you describe it, but I just follow one, one very simple rule. So your working day cannot be one and the same, right? With the one and the same pressure, etc. So there are some days or weeks where the pressure is enormous, but they have to be followed by 
some days of normal uh, pressure, normal work to give you the ability to recharge. So this is how I judge what's the situation and what needs to be corrected. Because if I, I mean, I give 110% and for one day, three, five a week, work weekends, etc. But then I know that once you reach, I mean, close that project or whatever is a deadline or whatever, there is a little bit of break. Not that you still go to work, but it's not that hectic. And when there are periods of high pressure without that little space that you can have a breather, then you know that things are not going the right way. At least that's how I judge it. And then I just stop and look back and see, so why is, this, is it happening, right? I normally would see, well, so what is, what is happening? Why is suddenly that nonstop, right? So what can be changed? So I go back and see, is there anything that I'm doing for the sake of it? Because sometimes in a rush, you, you take something, you do it, and then, but it's form of a substance, right? But you do it because you haven't talked about it. So you Just feeling yeah. doing something to yeah, be busy exactly. and to feel productive. Exactly. But you're not, right? So you can very easily identify this and cut them out, right? Then you can just see is there because when you have a lot of projects and they don't belong anywhere else, you end up taking them in the beginning and then, and then you continue carrying them even though they belong now to somewhere, right? They belong to another part of the organization. You actually do justice with it. So that's another thing, another way, transfer some responsibilities which actually have grown and belong a best fit somewhere else. And then if none of this is available <laughs> as a way out, then you have to say no. But, but there are ways to say no, right? So you don't say no and uh, make people fail their deadlines. Uh, generally, when I say no, I always try and find a way to help, bring some other resources or, or direct them somewhere to somebody to help. Because everybody's under pressure. It's not that one part of the organization It just sitting with their legs on the table and then the others is working hard. No, everybody's working hard. So, but you have to employ that empathy and say no in a way that people will understand. And that's how I deal with it. So basically delegate, reprioritize yeah. and communicate yes. effectively with the team, with the company and maybe with yourself as well. Mainly with yourself. Mainly with yourself. <laughs> I agree Mainly with you. With and it, it's not easy. I mean, I when I say it, it sounds easy, but no, it's not easy. And I can imagine that for younger employees who just joined, for instance, or are one, two years, they might feel afraid to say that because, but you should not be afraid. You should never be afraid to say that because there is there are many ways to say no. Or to just go and say, sorry, I have been working every single day for the last three weeks. I'm really tired and I need to relax a little bit. And who is going to say no to such a explanation, right? Generally, people will try and help you. And everyone, as you said, in the company is busy. So maybe they don't even notice that you've been working those crazy hours every single day. So it okay. is important to voice it over and to show if it doesn't work verbally, maybe it's important to put it on in the email to actually outline what you've been working on, what is still on your plate and yeah. you can't just can't physically finish at all. Yeah. So effective communication is yeah. key. Absolutely. And it seems that you've had a successful career have you had any setbacks and is there is anything that you learned from it? Well, every career is, has ups and downs. 
So one of the setbacks that I um, can talk about is when it was the financial crisis in 2008. So uh, by that time, I was already in London and I was working in a division which was called Audit and Risk Review. I was traveling a lot and it was a great way for people from the front side of the business to gain knowledge of of the risk and control function because it's very important for anyone who wants to build a successful career to understand the risks and controls of the organization. So, and generally how it works is that normally how it works is uh, you spend two, three four years and then you you go back to the to the front line and you are a better person because you know much better how to manage risks so but the financial crisis was in 2008 and it was very difficult to do, to do anything right everything was frozen impossible so the thing is not to lose faith because the moment you lose faith things really go bad so you have to really talk to yourself, as you said. Talking to yourself is very important and you have to be really convincing. But also you have to try and find some other things to incorporate in your life, you know, right? other things that gives you satisfaction. And you wait for the right moment. You continue to network. You continue to give you 110%. You just want to, to move and get another job, but it's not happening. So you just have to wait for the right moment and when this opportunity comes. And it, sometimes it's luck. So I actually used this time to have my kids. <laughs> I said to myself, well, I better have kids because anyways, things are not moving forward. So I had my kids, but even after that, I couldn't move from the risk area and audit, but I managed to go to Singapore and then I managed to take part in a transformational journey for the audit function, which was going through a huge transformation. So that was the first transformation journey I have taken. And that actually helped me to get my CEO job after that. So you never know what is around the corner. So you just have to persevere, go on and not lose, lose faith. There is no other recipe, really. You just have to have grit to go through this period of time. Because even if you think nothing is happening, a lot is happening, right? I mean, I had kids, I moved to Singapore, I did teaching, I did many other things, right? In your mind, you're thinking, oh, I'm not having that ideal job I wanted to have. But you have done a lot through these years. Making the most out of every experience. You said it absolutely right. If something is not happening in one part of your life, I'm sure a lot is going on in another. So just sort of refocusing on something else can definitely make that experience even more valuable. And I have one fun question for you in the end, <laughs> if you don't mind. Yes. If you met 18-year-old self, what are the three words you would tell yourself? Just three words. Just three words. The words will be, don't be afraid. That's what I, like I would that. say, because fear is the worst thing that actually stops us. And fear, it's a completely useless feeling because you're just blocked and you're just, but there's nothing you can do, right? Things will happen anyway, the way they're going to happen. So you better enjoy it, right? I mean, relax, forget about this and see what will happen. Enjoy, no, the, enjoy the ride. Enjoy the, the, the ride, exactly. Because, you know, just, I had, among other fears, I had fear of flying. But you know, travel, you have to, uh, if I want to travel, I have to fly, right? So, 80 countries, yeah, exactly. that wasn't easy. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I just have to, I was thinking, I'm sitting in this plane now and I'm just sitting here 
terrified if it's going to go down. But the thing is, if it's going to go down, there is nothing I can do. Nothing. So I'm worried. Why? And uh, it was epiphany, you know. I don't know how it happened. It just happened. And then uh, one day I was just there. Let me just relax. And that was the first time I slept on a plane. And then ever since, that's just only one thing. But you have to, again, talk to yourself and argue with yourself to get to the right place. (laughs) One important out of, I've had a lot of interest and takeaways from the discussion, but the main one is probably that the conversation with yourself is the most important career lesson that you had (laughs) is that it's important to reflect, it's important to recharge and to understand what is important in life. Exactly. Raise above the, raise 30,000 feet and see the big picture. See that your worries, daily worries, just don't mean anything. Just look at the whole journey and you will see the enormous journey you've taken, no matter what. And every journey has pluses and minuses, so dips, unhappy episodes. But generally, when you raise up and see, gosh, you'll be surprised. It's quite fascinating to think about every situation as being neutral. So it's not bad. It's not good. It's just what we make of it. So that's just one of the interesting like thoughts I had the other day that it's totally what we make of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, very well said. I could not say it better. Thank you so much, Annie. I really do appreciate you taking the time and sharing your valuable knowledge with us. Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll speak in six months and see where the journey takes you. Absolutely. I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope our listeners also enjoyed and they learned something. And yes, let's talk in six months and see what's changed.